Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast. This is episode 27, and today we're going to be talking about the issues of sexual identity, same-sex attraction, and what does it mean to engage with others on this topic. So let's do this! Hey, thank you guys so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you guys being a part of this conversation. And today's topic is really important for us to engage in. Topic that's not often talked about. We got Bernard and Shu. How are you guys doing? Yeah. Yo. Yo. We are also sitting in Tyndale. Tyndale University College Seminary, our alma mater. Not alma our mater. Tyndale. Yeah. Not, not our Tyndale. Tyndale. Yes. This is a weird catacomb. This Tyndale. is the moved over. Yeah, yeah. Catacomb. Yeah. We are in the basement. Yeah. It's true. This old monastery. This is where the Pope convent. used to hang out. Really? When he was here. One of the Popes. John Paul II, I think. Yes, is it possible so. we're sitting in a room that he has been in? Uh, he may have blessed it. I don't know if he's been here. This chair feels very holy. I'm not sure. Maybe that. just yours. Maybe mine. <laughs> Maybe just got a whole lot of holes in it. All right. So we got a special guest today, Min Su Kang. What's going on? What's going on? How you doing? I'm doing well. Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today oh, yeah. in this conversation. We're excited to hear from you. I hear you are quite the break dancer. Is that quite true? I am not actually a break dancer. I'm actually a hip hop choreography dancer. Whoa. Yeah. So I do more like Justin Timberlake, Usher, Neo kind of flavor, but yeah. There's always that misconception, I think, with other people thinking that I'm a break dancer, but I can fake break. Faith. <laughs> fake break. Top rock, Top all rock. that stuff, oh, yeah, but yeah. yeah, no. Air flares. No. See, that, those kind of power moves I can't do. Uh, yeah. Turtle. Turtle. This is, this is a whole other language to me. Isn't that a word? As long as you're not dancing and breaking yourself, right. that's, that's exactly. the most important part. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about what your journey has been like. Yeah, so I'm born and raised in Toronto. Uh, right now I'm living in Vancouver. So I'm Korean by background and I was raised in the church, the Presbyterian church. And yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed going to church. It, was a, it wasn't a chore for me to go youth group, all that stuff. I think I was every youth pastor, youth leader's favorite kid, just oh. really behaved. And poster child. Poster child. Yes. Yeah. Just to, really enjoyed church. To go to Vision X. No, <laughs> no. Actually, I don't, yeah, I don't think Vision X was a part of our schedule, our ministry oh, okay. calendar. Yeah. So I've actually never been, I think my first time going, I was like 29. Oh, and you were, you were the pastor. Yeah, I was like a speaker. Yeah, yeah. 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 So growing up in the Korean church was interesting. It wasn't a it wasn't a struggle for me going to church. I think when I hit middle school is where a lot of questions began to come up. Mm, okay. Um, particularly around sexuality. So I guess when I was around twelve or thirteen, I realized that I was sexually attracted to other guys. Mm -hmm. And it was yeah, at that point of discovering that my first reaction was deep fear because up until that point, everything that I heard about, you know, anybody who wasn't heterosexual was really, really negative. And it just kind of took those words, took those images and sort of placed them on myself. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, just fear really dictated my life. And I think from then on my best line of defense when it came to this was just to suppress a lot of what I was feeling sort of out of guilt and shame. I didn't want to, you know, that Asian thing of like, you don't want to bring shame around your family and you want, you don't want to like disappoint anybody. 
I heard that I think the the worst thing you can do for a Korean family is actually say one of the things is actually telling your parents that you're gay. Mm. So it was really tough, and yeah, I just decided I think at the eighth or seventh or eighth grade when you're like twelve or thirteen, sure, to sort of repress and just create a better image for yourself and kind of hide behind a mask and live in that way. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and so that significantly altered the way that I. began to live and construct who I was. So that mass self uh, began to be all up in sports, literally changed the way I walked, talked, uh, mm. did all the stuff in the name of fighting any form of, like anything that was associated with homosexuality. Sure. Just wanted to be accepted and be loved and just thought that heterosexuality was the way that could happen. And so mm. that was my goal. Mm. Yeah, that was my ultimate goal. And then things began to shift. Uh, definitely when I entered university, uh, I think you can't go through life uh, suppressing and being somebody else. Uh, try to construct um, two lives and kind of uh, that will always catch up to you. And you can't ever hold on right. to two lives or two images for yourself. It's exhausting. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think my life was uh, all about covering my tracks, um, making sure that even on Facebook, I wasn't tagged in certain photos. or untagging certain things, hiding every place that I went um, in order that people can't, yeah, find out what I was doing or who, who I was or what I was about. And as you mentioned, in my first year of university, dance was a huge thing. And mm-hmm. I wanted to be like, I wanted to dance my way to the top and just be <laughs> the best dancer I could be. And so, yeah, I did everything I could, auditioned for everything and had a really good time. But I was being exposed to a, a whole environment that I never thought I would be. And that's actually where I met another guy and began to date. Mm-hmm. And that's where my two worlds just collided. Mm-hmm. Um, no longer could I hold these two things in tension with one another. Um, I sort of became that person that I hated, uh, became that person I wanted to run away from, but also couldn't fully let go of this thing that I was enjoying, this relationship that I was really embracing. Um, sure. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was a really big tension for me. Yeah. And stayed in that relationship, but also still went to church. And I think for some people that's weird, but I couldn't shake the habit of going to church. My family started checking out this new church in Toronto and they sort of hired this pastor at the same time that our family was coming in. And he, yeah, God really, really used him to begin to speak truth to my heart. And Uh, it was less about doing the right thing and more about meeting Jesus in a significant mm. way. Mm. And that was what began to shift things for me. And that's where God began to move in my life. And I would definitely say that through this one retreat that this, this church had, I really met Jesus in a significant way. Mm. And he didn't mm. really address my sexuality then. Uh, he didn't even mention it, really. All he said was, you know, you have a need for me. And the things that you're choosing are moving you further away from me. And that was it. Wow. Um, yeah. It had nothing to do with That's guilt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was huge for me. Um, and, th- and I left that retreat just saying, like, I need God in my life. And those three words really propelled me to make some radical decisions to say, okay, I think I, think I want this Jesus more. And if these things are stopping me from... knowing him, mm-hmm. why not push them aside? 
So that included like breaking up with my boyfriend at the time, but also like deleting all my secular music and, <laughs> you know, uh, not going to certain places and burning all the CDs. Yeah. 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 Deleting Napster, you know? Uh, <laughs> oh, all Napster. Those, yeah. Oh, wow. Napster. Yeah. yeah. I remember highlighting all my Winamp music and just being like, delete. <gasps> oh, Winamp. Winamp. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. man. Classic throwback. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're listening to this on Winamp, right yeah, now. yeah, <laughs> you might. Oh, be. This is Back to the they Future. Might, they might be. You might be running it on Windows 3.1 that's, right now. That's Ooh. crazy. Happy. That would be amazing. I think they have an app. I think Winamp came out with an app. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. They're struggling. Yeah, they're hanging on. But we love you, Winamp. There you go. Shout. This is yeah. yeah. Shout out to that. You brought us much music. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really hard to, I guess, summarize the the next decade of journeying with God after that. Sure. But it was a lot of highs and a lot of lows, particularly because I still somewhat hid and still, still chose to be secretive. And I never thought I would include anybody in these private areas of my life because I didn't think anybody would want to understand or could understand. But I found that in those moments that I refused to be open and, you know, as the Bible says, bringing people, letting people carry your burdens with you, Hmm. uh, praying in order to be healed, like big verses like that. In every moment that I decided not to bring people in, I found that my struggle with my sexuality and the questions that I asked intensified. Hmm. And I kept trying to just journey by myself when, when, yeah, I don't think I was even built that way. And so the biggest encouragement for me was actually beginning to come out to friends and family and watching people respond in the totally opposite way that I thought they would. Right. And actually being conduits of God's love and grace. Mm-hmm. And that giving wow. me the invitation to say, what, who is this God? What kind of love does he actually want to give me? Right. What misconceptions do I have about him? And from there, um, just really building intimacy with God and uh, really discovering who I am and what he has to say around my sexuality. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing story. Yeah, thank thank you. you so much for sharing. Yeah. There's so much to unpack sure, think, yeah. out of that. So actually, before we jump into that, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about how you have been involved in, in various different ministries over the last mm-hmm. number of years? You mentioned earlier about how you've really felt the importance of letting people in to walk with you right. through it. And now you are getting a chance to be able to do that for others right. in the various different ministries you've been a part of. So what has that experience been like for you? Yeah, so I would say a lot of my journey into ministry started when I was a youth pastor in Toronto, the church plant. And I found that a lot of my kids were asking me about my testimony. Mm-hmm. How did you become a Christian? Uh, what was the whole journey around that? And I remember just giving them a surface answer. Like I went clubbing and then Jesus came and I stopped. (laughs) And that is how he... He was at the club. Yeah. I was like, oh, dang, I got to (laughs) leave. No, but yeah, I felt kind of, I felt like a sham not telling them the truth. It was just, it was a half truth. I did go clubbing, but that wasn't my story, right? And so every time that I refused to share uh, my story completely, uh, there came a point I remember God kind of met me and said, you're depriving me of my glory. You're depriving me of the, you're depriving other people to hear how I've actually moved in your life. Yeah. And that invitation to share, uh, yeah, I really took it as uh, a strong, I guess, call to begin being obedient around this and to begin sharing the full story of Mm. my conversion and even the ways God meets me today. 
Yeah, it was, it was amazing. But I remember I shared during the process of me actually bowing out of my church, resigning. I dropped this bomb and left. <laughs> like, this is my story. I'm so sorry. Goodbye. Right. Mm. But, you know, I still kept in contact with these kids. But mm. out of that, I felt like what was happening was it opened up this need. And a lot of people that I, I shared with communicated that there was this need for the story to be heard. And so a bunch of friends and I, we began this ministry called Deep Waters, which actually is still in existence in Toronto today. Mm -hmm. And our original vision was we wanted to give men and women who have same-sex attractions community. And I think that was the thing that lacked the most, a, a place where they can come, they could talk through what they've experienced, um, hear other people even say, oh, me too. Like, that's my struggle too. Right. And even to know that they're not alone in this journey. And so that, I, I honestly thought it would be this humble little ministry, but it exploded. And a lot of people, actually a lot of Asian people began coming out, sharing their stories, mm. finding community, finding people who could actually relate to them. Uh, and then the rest was history. It just kept evolving and growing and the word went out. And I believe now they're even doing online support groups for people mm. who can't make it to That's Toronto. Cool. Yeah. Wow. And their vision is also extending outside of just the same-sex attracted target audience. Yeah. There's more people who have come out of this group that has shifted their vision to include other people who feel scared to come out of whatever experience and to find community in that. Mm. Yeah. And so in the earlier stages, I was sharing my testimony with a lot of churches. And at one church I shared at, I met another ministry called Journey Canada and I really was shocked that another ministry was doing this. I had no idea there was other people who were Canadian who were actually doing this. And the guy who was speaking was Japanese. So I was like, what? Like <laughs> the many things in that just didn't align. But um, I really appreciate the way he talked about, uh, he didn't talk about same-sex attraction. He was talking more about sexual addiction. Mm. Uh, but to hear it from another Asian male was revolutionary for me. Like, wow, there's other people who are doing this. Yeah. So we stayed in touch just so that I couldn't gleam off their experience and wisdom. But the more that time went on, I realized, actually, we really align. And they offered me a position as their youth and young adult coordinator. Mm. And so I took it and I've uh, been working with them for the past uh, two and a half years in Vancouver. Cool. And that ministry also is a really amazing way to sit with people in their broken experience of relationships and sexuality. Mm. And so it actually has nothing to do. It has crosses with same-sex attraction, but there's so many other ways that people can be broken sexually, sure. uh, be broken relationally. And it's been such a humbling experience to walk with people and watch Jesus. And we say this all the time in our ministry, watch people's faces literally change their countenance literally changing as they find freedom, as they find truth, as they find Jesus actually in their moments of pain and confusion to know that Jesus is there. People change from that. Wow. Um, yes. Yeah. That's awesome. And so it's been, absolutely. It's been crazy, but it's been amazing. Just, yeah. Seeing that, I guess that need being addressed uh, in the church today. Hmm. I'm kind of curious as you were talking about, you know, both Deep Waters and, and Journey Canada as spaces, like safe spaces where people can come and, and find healing and, and restoration uh, in Jesus. What does that kind of look like with its relationship with the local church? Mm. So Journey Canada, I believe we approach ministry from a macro and micro scale. And so 
whenever I share about our ministry on the micro end is what I just shared. Like we do face-to-face discipleship with them. And so a lot of our people are actually pastors, uh, Christian leaders. And so people who have experienced uh, hurt themselves or are going through a sense, a season of brokenness. And they want healing from that people to journey with them in that maybe even an environment where they don't have to necessarily be a leader. Right. I believe this community, these groups give spaces for those pastors to now minister out of a place of healing. Hmm. So it's actually a gift for pastors to kind of exit a group, find healing and re-enter. So that's one way, but also from our experience of walking with people face to face, we can take what we learned and equip the church on a macro level. Hmm. And so from what we do face to face, we actually take those lessons and bring them to the wider church and say, here are some equipping seminars you can come to talking about relational brokenness same-sex attraction, addictive behaviors. And so to give that church, give pastors and leaders abilities to be equipped uh, with practical implications and ways that they can walk with their congregation in it. Right. And so I I think we take more of a consultant role, even giving ways that a church can become a safe place Mm -hmm. for people, um, how do churches actually maybe host our discipleship ministry, our discipleship groups, so that their people can experience healing as well. Cool. Yeah. Well, just to backtrack uh, for something you said actually really earlier, I thought was really fascinating because you're talking about this sense of, for some people, if they're not even experienced the glory of God, they're being deprived mm. of, of the glory of God in a sense. And I, and of course, I'll, I'll throw in Dave Fitch in here with the <laughs> Theology on Mission podcast, but there was an episode they were talking about that as we see glory at times as this kind of you know, out there concept of the glory of God, or I want to glorify God, but the glory of God is actually that presence, his very own presence. And how do we extend that presence? It's, 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 you extend that in community as the family of God. And I just, I, I, that was just such a, like to deprive people of that. I think at times thinking about that as a local church, like Bernard's saying, like, I, I think we, we don't even know how to do that because Thinking about your story, thinking, and that, I think that resonates with probably a lot of people that we've interacted with, or even maybe some of our stories. Yeah. There's a sense of shame, of, of, of guilt, and, and then people don't know how to even invite people into spaces, into relationships. It's almost like the first thing was, you know, especially like a few years ago or whatever, 10 years ago, even, no, like, I don't know what to do with this. This, this is more overtly sinful or something. And it's just like, wait a second, now, later on in retrospect, all the sin in my life, what does that look like? And how do I walk and journey with other people? What does that look like today? And I think even the point of our, our podcast doing this, this missional edge to what we do is that's the whole point We're we're not, we should never be coming with this, this sense of, well, um, what, this is what we're against <laughs> every, let me tell you everything we're against. Then you can come in and join the club. Mm. It's how do you help people interact with the very person of Jesus? And how do we become, you know, glory bearers and, and people who are extending that presence to others. And I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. And I think it's so true, right? Like, Ms. you had talked about wearing that mask for so many years. And for many, I think probably for many people, we, we all carry different masks that we need to shed. And only in, in Jesus will we, will we find healing. Mm-hmm. And it, not necessarily just sexual healing. Like, there's different things that we are addicted to or things that have shaped or formed us, right? And and it is that glorified presence of God that allows us to, to shed these masks. Mm-hmm. I think as a response to what you just said, 
I think our stories are not our own, right? It's the ways that God has moved in us and has blessed us. And we have the privilege of being his bearers of that story and allow God's presence to be given out to people. And time and time again, every time I share uh, my story, it may not impact an entire church. Like I don't feel a church would like give me a standing ovation or anything like that, but it always impacts one or two people, like one or two people who it gives them maybe the courage to, they may not have same sex attraction, but in a sense, everybody needs to come out right of, of hiding. And especially with Asian culture, I feel like we, we thrive in lies and we'd rather uh, tell a lie than the truth in order to save face. Yeah. And so what would it look like to actually take the stories that we've been blessed with and give that to the church and give other people the opportunity to come out and say, yeah, me too, me as well. I struggle maybe in a different way, but I'm also a sinner and I also mm. encounter God in this way. And I wonder if that's like, you know, the the typical Asian church retreat or whatever, where the sharing happens and where people really get close. Oh, this is like family to me. It's like, you, it's in those spaces where you, you, you hear the stories, you see what God is doing, you experience the healing communally and what's going on in that. It may not relate to every person, but everyone's like, yes, I, I see what's happening here. And they're even more further encouraged. And yeah, I think those are the most powerful moments and you can't necessarily manufacture that. Now, Minsu, what do you think gets in the way of the local church context of creating spaces like that? Because, you know, Shu, you just mentioned at a retreat. Wow, that, he, that encounter with Jesus was so real and so tangible and so powerful. And you experienced that healing. But what does it look like translated back to a community where you are living day in and day out, year after year, to be that community to be on that journey together, to encounter Jesus together, and to continue to, as a church, to be bearing the presence of God to one another. Yeah, so what, are, what would you say are some of the, the barriers? They don't necessarily have to be cultural barriers, but what are some of the barriers that prevent churches from being that type of community? I think there is a place for an Asian community, um, an Asian church, I think I can only speak from my own experience, but um, I feel as though the best communities have been outside of the Asian context, the all Asian context. I've been blessed to meet people who are Caucasian, African-American, Hispanic, and they mm -hmm. all give me this sense of God in a different way. Mm -hmm. I think if we stay in the Asian church and just, like if I stayed in my Korean bubble forever, I don't think I would ever have the courage to come out and share. Mm -hmm. I think I would just be so scared because all I know is shame and guilt. Like right. that, that's sort of what I've been exposed to for so long. And like, that's where all the pressure came from, right. came from in which to hide and which to repress and right. which to live a double life. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But is there a, a different, are there different communities? Are there different kinds of, is there a different narrative to this experience or is it just shame and guilt. Like, if, mm. am I going to only just experience that for the rest of my life? Mm. Um, so I was blessed with many communities of people who were diverse, sure. um, who gave me opportunities to just share openly, to ask questions, to not assume that they knew answers, but that a lot of times I had to teach people, what does community mean for me? Right. And what do I need at this time? And a lot of times, actually a hundred percent of the time, 
it wasn't the whole church that came alongside me. It was, it was certain people. I don't think the whole, like if I look at my Korean church back in the day, I don't think the entire church uh, would know how to deal with my story, mm-hmm. would know how to walk with me in it. But I can tell you a handful of people who journeyed with me, who even though they didn't understand what I was going through, uh, were willing to sit and pray with me, uh, were willing to be with me as I struggled even in moments where I'm like, I'm done with being a Christian sure. to be like a soundboard for me, to call me out of sin, to call me out of selfishness, et cetera. Like these were amazing friends, amazing people. And over the years, we just learned how to be there for one another. It wasn't an overnight thing. It was mm-hmm. definitely a journeying with one another. And I also think the, the, the beautiful thing is also being community. And I know that word is very broad, but the communities I've, I've experienced are with other married folk, other single folk, just all kind of living life together. And it wasn't like married people and single people hang out separately. It's that we're all included as the family of God. And there are some people who really caught that vision. Sure. And so I felt this big sense of inclusion, even though I don't have a wife and I don't have kids. You mm-hmm. know, How do I actually play a role in these people's lives? Mm. How am I included in these people's lives? And so a lot of times I, I tell pastors, like, like, I remember one pastor came up to me and said, you know, what is the first thing I do? How do I, how do I minister to single people? And I just asked them, like, do you have single friends? Like, or are, are all your friends married with children? And they were like, he was like, oh no, <laughs> you know, oh no, I only have married friends with kids. And I just encouraged them. I'm like, you know, get out of that habit. Make some friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the main takeaway here. Yeah, make <laughs> some friends. Holy moly. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah. Who yeah. would have thought? Yeah. yeah. You know, bringing it back to your story. Yeah. Before you encountered Jesus in that way at that retreat, what was the picture of Jesus you had? I think I've inherited this picture through a lot of uh, leaders, messages through the media, whatever it was. But I felt like God would not love me if I was same-sex attracted. I I received the message that, I mean, this is the tail end of this kind of ministry, but I've received a lot of kind of like reparative therapy language, which Mm. said that in order to be accepted and loved, I had to change my entire sexual attractions to now lust after women, which makes absolutely no sense. Why would I trade lust for lust? That makes no sense. And so it was this sort of like pass or fail kind of approach to God. Mm. Today, am I passing? Am I more heterosexual than I was yesterday? Did I walk in a straight line today or did I walk with some swagger? Like, did I? And I mean, we, it's a lot of, yeah, it seems kind of foolish, but I think some people actually, like, did I get better at a sport today? Am I more masculine today? Did I learn how to build furniture today? It was very weird, but. That was sort of my approach to God. If I wasn't behaving well, God was far away. Sure. And I think actually the the true encounter with God was actually asking the question, am I still accepted? Am I still loved by God, even if these attractions never go away? Right. Mm-hmm. And I really believe the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. God loves me. I was yes. going to say no as a joke, but <laughs> I don't think that's the place. Yeah. Yes, like, yeah, he but, loves me. But yeah. you're saying that at one point in your life, you might have answered no. Yeah, oh, right? for sure. For actually a long portion of my yeah. life. And I think that kind of mentality even still affects me today, sure. where 
good behavior equals good books in God, right? Like that he loves you more if you're doing all the right things or behaving all the right ways. But I don't know if that's true. I actually don't believe that's true. Mm. I believe that God meets us exactly where we're at and it's in his love, his like all encompassing love where things began to shift. Mm. Um, Our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of God, but it starts with a baseline of, radical love and radical acceptance mm. and i think yeah that verse i hold true it's like we we can only love because he loved us first and that's the foundation that's the beginning and from there whatever god wants to do you, you gotta just stay open to it yeah. and that's where he changes and heals mm. yeah the amazing love of god yeah well interesting you say that something that popped in my head when you're saying that and well this isn't it weird tangent or something but let's do it yeah let's do it love is good can you differentiate between like this love and sexuality as we uh, can you can like because they're intrinsically now tied together in society and our concept or our understanding our framework of love and sexuality how how do you wrestle with those things like like i find that that's something that people really struggle with on on any you know attraction side of the coin but it's just like how how do you view love and sexuality yeah, when I think of love, I don't mean this airy fairy kind of like emotional, overwhelming, giddy feeling. Sometimes love is difficult, right? Sometimes love has to say the hard things. I really believe that God has a vision for sexuality. I really believe he has an opinion about it. And so even though God loves me, he's going to guide me into his best, right? And so I think sometimes that means I don't get everything I want. I don't like, I don't think that's Christianity. Like love God and he'll give you everything you want. Some form of Christianity. ish, (laughs) Right, right, right. But I think a lot of people like that I talk to, it's kind of like God owes me this. Mm. He owes me this relationship. He owes me everything Mm. that like I've given up X, Y, Z. He owes me this Mm. and he doesn't owe us anything doesn't owe us anything but i think we have to start with the baseline of is he calling us to the best do we believe that he's good a lot of stuff that i i read i interact with on this topic a lot of times there's that conflation of well if i cannot love my same-sex partner or, or whatever then that can't be you know from god or something like that or god, if god is love then he can't take away that that love that they'll conflate that 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 theme or that, right. that topic. And for me, that's that you can have the same thing with the hetero heterosexual right. kind right. of mm-hmm. attraction. Right. Right. But I find that that's what I find ends up happening today. When the, the arguments that I hear, I wonder if that's kind of reduced to a, like a, a relationship between just two people that are attracted to each other. I, I feel like that's the fixation of what love is all about. But when we talk about love, it's, it's more than that. Mm. It's about being in community. It's not just this mutual attractiveness between two people, but the love of God that we've been so describing today. It's like, it's, it's so much bigger. And perhaps, you know, in trying to wrestle with this kind of attraction between two people needs to be also in context of this larger loving community. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I just, I end up finding a lot of people and, and kind of, I think you were sharing a bit about that, that pastor who's only kind of spending time with married couples with children. 
That's, I think, where our Christian, our traditional Christian society is fixated on. That is the highest of everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Once you're married with children, with kids, with, yeah. you know, opposite gender, then that's that's the you know everything's good now. That that's the symbol of heaven now. It's the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the the Christian version of the American dream. I've I've had this conversation because I have to wrestle with that question as well because I've had moments in my life where I remember the phrase I used to always pray is, "Why would you not let me have the thing that comes so natural to me?" Like this comes so natural mm. to me. Why won't you give me this? Why won't you let me have it? Mm. And so I had this conversation with one of my leaders one time and she was telling me how in our world today, I think we go back, we can go back and look at the ways that our society has shifted so much that our understanding of sex, the ability to have sex, marriage, et cetera, like those experiences, those are the ultimate human experiences that the best things you can have this side of heaven. And so if there's a group of people that don't have that or don't get that, they're subhuman. Mm-hmm. Like you don't get that. You don't get to have that. And because of our understanding of that, now we're wrestling with this idea where people feel like they're not being given the best thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, why would you deny me this? And I think a lot of people are shifting their theologies on not just homosexuality, but a bunch of things because of this idea that we've come to as a society that says, if I'm not coupled, if I'm not able to do the things that come naturally to me, I'm not living an, a fulfilling life. Mm. I don't think that's Christianity. I don't think that's Christianity at all. And the messages that pastors need to be given is like, if even if you're single, even if you get nothing that your heart and your will desires, but you get Jesus, isn't that everything? Mm. And if if it's not, then what are we, what are we, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, if that's not the message, that's that's not Christianity, right? It's it's this, you know, 21st century moralistic therapeutic deism idea where it's like <laughs> I rub this lamp and God gives me whatever I want, right? right? And that's not Christianity. Yeah. Uh, when I look at the when I read scripture it's literally like die to yourself, <laughs> you are dead. And my mom always says this, I am dead and you know, God is God is the one that calls the shots in my life. Mm-hmm. And whether that's getting everything I want or not, it's like, I'm going to trust that God has the best in mind for me. Mm. Yeah. Cool. That's huge. Wow. That's good. I want, I want to throw you a underhand pitch about if you were to tell people like the listeners kind of right now, like in terms of some, you know, current topic, like views on sexuality, because that that's something that I think you're passionate on. Is there something that you feel like, that you haven't mentioned up to this point that maybe is like, like kind of, this is what you found and that you're, you're emerging understanding of sexuality so that maybe to engage some of the ideas that today, you know, today people have about sexuality. Is there something that you'd like to say? I will share this one thing that every time I share this with leaders, they're so impacted by it. And it's specifically on same sex attraction. I feel like you can apply this across the board with, with any experience, but I think when people hear the words same-sex attraction, same-sex behavior, and gay identity, I think those are all one thing in people's minds. And so even our world says, if you feel this, this is who you are, right? So they'll say things like, if you're same-sex attracted, you're gay. So here's the path in order to embrace that. Do X, Y, Z, and you'll live a fulfilling life. But I actually believe that those three things are separate. I believe same-sex attraction, when somebody says that they're same-sex attracted, it's, they're just describing to you an experience that they, they have. They're not actually telling you the amount or the intensity. They're just basically saying, 
this is an experience I have.、Mm. From there, they actually have a choice whether they will act on those same sex attractions or not. And that could lead somebody into you know, same sex behavior. And then from there, they also have a further choice to say, Am I going to take these attractions and behaviors that I do and make that the core identity of who I am and let that you know, infiltrate and see my entire world through that perspective and that yeah, lens? Yeah. So there's actually three different ways of looking at this and three different ways of approaching it. I think the most powerful thing for leaders and pastors, the ones that have walked with me significantly well, is to not change the fact that this is my experience. I didn't, sh- I didn't wake up one day and think,、oh, I think it'd actually be good to be same sex attracted. I think that's actually cool. I didn't choose this experience. I ju- it took time, but it actually just happened in my life.、Mm-hmm. And instead of leaders focusing so much on changing that experience, I think what has been helpful is for leaders to actually say, This is your experience. How do, we, how do we ask the questions now? Like, how do we walk with Jesus as somebody who experiences these attractions? Cool. And then walking with leaders, they've, you know, they've said there's other ways to not just embrace these attractions, there's a whole other way you can actually live your life. There's vision. And so for me, a really cool thing that I did with some of my pastors is actually to ask, What is there for me? What is, there, what is the vision forward? How do I now live my life? Because the world has a set path for me, but I don't know, I don't know what the alternative is.、Mm. So, for leaders to say, I see this gifting in you, I see this ability in you, and to、uh, instill me with purpose, just having purpose, I, don't, I think my life actually has value now. And it's not just、mm. like, oh, I don't get this thing and I'm just going to be upset the whole time. No.、Right. There are other things that I can actually use my life to to bless the kingdom of God and bless other people in it.、Yeah. Right. And what I find really fascinating about that, and it's like my critique on the church, even, even the church that I pastor, <laughs> it's like we don't give a, a very grand view of what that can be. Right. And, and, we, and, and not to mention, because each person is very unique and, and gifted and in different ways, we don't know at times. It's easier just to generalize to everyone hey, everyone just be this, this kind of Christian. But we don't know how to walk with them and even kind of like you're saying, journey with them, disciple, spending time in discipleship, which is even more contextualized, specific efforts into people, invest, investments into people's、right. lives. So it's easier just to go, let me just teach and preach to people, and, and that's that. And I find that if we don't have an alternative to the world, to, to what the world has to offer, or even something, and not, not just sometimes that can sound antagonistic, like here's the alternative, but even to affirm maybe, no, there are some good things that. There's good things happening in the world.、Mm-hmm. God is working, has been working in the world since the beginning of time. It's almost like helping them navigate those waters, but also to present that to people. And it's not as, I think, at times as、uh, captivating to people. And, and we don't know how to model it at times. But it should be captivating. There should be a fresh imagination. And, you know, it's, it's sad that we have to sit around and can't imagine. A new way and can't see、uh, how God is unfolding his plans in this beautiful dance. And, and I, I think we want to see church very clean and pristine, but in reality, it, like, life is messy、mm-hmm. and life is chaotic. And becoming a disciple of Jesus, to follow him, to love him, to experience the fullness of Jesus, it's messy, it's chaotic.、Mm-hmm. You know, our hands are dirty. And I, I guess un- until we have that shift, like, it's, it's really hard. To see a way forward.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, the vision that I got for a huge portion of time was 
how do we get you married with kids? Mm. And that's the solution for me, right? That's the end goal. That's the end goal. That's the finish line for a story like mine, right? Mm. Like people can applaud a story like that, but people don't know what to do with process. They're really confused about process, right? And to your point, right? Or even sitting in tension. Right. Um, And so what does process look like when not everyone's on the same page, even on Jesus, right? So a community will look so messy, but yeah, for any of your listeners, I think we need to really think about what's a different vision outside of marriage and kids. Like that can't be the end goal. And same-sex attracted or not, I feel like there are people in congregations who are supposed to be single and we're, we're kind of pushing them to not embrace that calling by forcing marriage on them or kids on them, you know? That's a really good thought. You know, that is something that as churches, we need to continue to wrestle with. And hopefully that the identities in which we are forming are not on our, our relational status or our sexual identity, but first and foremost on Christ, encountering Christ together as a community, being shaped by that, and then seeing how that gives us another picture of the other areas in our life, right? But I want to ask a little bit about how the church has responded in the past, you know, which I think is being brought to light now, which has not been as helpful or has been very harmful for a lot of families. I think even right now they're, you know, they're making movies on, you know, these corrective or corrective camps or right. whatever, you know, reparative. Exodus. Yeah. yeah. Right. Certain ministries in the past have had that as the focal point too, right? Like, and so what is one way we can learn to address what has happened in the past, seek repentance, and move forward. I will definitely say that that three-tier language, those terms that I gave you, I think that's very important for the future. Uh, in the past, yeah, ministries that were sort of ex-gay ministries, all focused on reparative therapy, they really pushed this idea of change kind of, I think, in an unhealthy way. Mm. And it really gave a false picture of who God is um, and what and how he actually views us as people. I really believe the next sort of wave of ministry has to be this idea of, we accept that this is your experience. Now, how do we encounter God as that person who has that experience? Sure. Versus let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you in a more acceptable state. And then here's Jesus. I think that's not even the gospel. Right. right. That's not even how Jesus interacted with people. And so a lot of my friends who have gone through Xscape programs, I've been through Xscape programs as, as well. I think one thing that we have to really fight against is sort of that feeling. I Sorry. In time, I feel like what gets tested is sort of the, the foundation of why we're following Jesus. Why are we following Jesus? Why did we choose Jesus? And I think a lot of, for a lot of people, it's because I felt guilty because I felt shameful, because I was dirty, because I wasn't good. I have to change. And this is why I'm following Jesus. That only takes some time to crumble. Whatever foundation is not Jesus himself will only in time crumble. I believe what the church needs to do now is to actually make space for the Holy Spirit to move, for people to have a real personal encounter with Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that stops any of us from giving into our flesh. And so... I really believe that 
when people have that experience, they're able to say, I want to give up X, Y, Z because I want more of Jesus. Mm. Not the other way around of like, oh, Jesus wants me to give up X, Y, and Z in order to be embraced by him. I think that's anti-gospel. Sure. And so how do we actually give people to have that real encounter to set them on a course of thriving, really, because they have Jesus, they have the best thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds very Keller-esque with the... (laughs) overcoming that desire with an overmastering desire of something else. Absolutely. Which is, is Christ. Yeah. Yeah. What I personally find is a struggle in ministry is we aren't creating spaces for people to, to meet Christ. That it's just going through the motions of, of whatever the program or, or the Sunday morning service and, and even in, in small group, like doing Bible study, just, just going through the motions. But where is that, that meeting with Christ or, or even like, like, you know, friends who are bringing, bringing this person to Christ kind of thing. But what ends up happening usually is just going through the motion, going through the intellectual kind of uh, discourse yeah, uh, of it all, but very much so I'm in agreement. I, I, I think more than ever, that's where I come, yeah. I, I come at now. Is this person going to experience Christ? Is this person going to be born again? Their, their whole change of, right. you know, who they are, yeah. you know, very much so. And, I want to see more of that. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like, I think with leaders, that's something we can't, we don't have the power to do. We don't have the power to bring the Holy Spirit down. I think what we can do is just create a space where people feel a sense of love and acceptance um, to communicate that as God's love and acceptance and pray that here, Holy Spirit, this is your space to move if you so desire. Mm. And yeah, I hope that I never force anybody to be a Christian, right? Like <laughs> that they actually have a true encounter themselves. Yeah. I like the say the prayer, man. Say the prayer. Right, right. <laughs> Come on. Right. You need this? Yeah. Do it now. Yeah. You're going to hell, man. Get to the chopper. <laughs> <You're going to laughs> hell. Yeah. Get to the chopper. This is kind of like a, a random question because yeah. you, you've been living in Toronto most of your life, but you've been living in Vancouver. Do you find that the culture is very different? Absolutely. Uh, West Coast and East Coast? Yeah. Are we talking it, like just generally or the Christian culture? Well, the Christian culture too. Yeah. But, you know, she was talking about space and how do we create space for that? Yeah. Like East Coast culture feels very busy. Yes. Like hectic. Like we, it's like we're always aiming, we have something, somewhere to go. Right. But West Coast kind of like, I was going to go surf in the morning, right. have a coffee, <laughs> right. and then I'll start work. Right. And I wonder if that also affects the way that we look at space. Yeah, so I lived in Toronto for about 30 years, and it's been 32 years, two years, two and a half years in Vancouver. Uh, sorry, <laughs> oh, not, I'm like, not 62. <laughs> oh, man. You look yeah. so good. Yeah. Thanks for 62. <laughs> the way I'd word it is Vancouver feels very Henry Nowen. Like, okay. very like, okay, yeah, how do we find <laughs> healing? How do we meet Jesus in our areas of pain? Right. And so a lot of people that have come from different cities and that they come to Vancouver, the Christian culture is very much like a spiritual spa for them where they have time to now sit, be still. And a lot of stuff comes up in that silence and stillness. Mm. And this is where Jesus meets them and heals them. And then when I think about Toronto, I think Tim Keller, I think like knowledge, I think theology, I think, yeah, just like, how do we, yeah. How do we devour our, our Bibles and be, you know, well-versed in scripture, which is not a bad thing. Right. But I think there's this sort of balance that's needed. Like, yeah, I've experienced a lot of healing in Vancouver, but I feel this pull now to read a lot of scripture. Right. But in my time in Toronto, my heart did not stop beating 
like very quickly. I felt anxious all the time and I didn't really give myself spaces to relax and actually create that space to let Jesus speak and move. Cool. That's my sort of comment on. Like, <laughs> I guess it's time for us to go to the prairies. Yeah, this is right in the middle. Just right in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> where Equal, nothing is equilibrium. Yeah. Of it all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just meet in the middle. Saskatchewan. <laughs> There's I, nothing I, been, there. Not, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I've been. I'm just kidding. I'm not sure. Some people are good there. Some people are good there. <laughs> I know I can. There's not much coffee there. <laughs> All right, as we wrap up this episode, thank you so much, Minsu, for, for having me. Yeah, one of the things we like to do at the end of our episodes is do our takeaway box, and perhaps you can be the one to offer it today. Something for our listeners to take away, to wrestle with, to continue to converse about, and to be engaged in. And so, what would your final word be for us and for our listeners today in terms of engaging in this conversation? Mm. Yeah, I would definitely say that this topic, sexuality, it can be very, very overwhelming, especially just the new wave of ideas, identities, homosexuality, transgender, gender identity. Like there's so many things that are coming up that feel new for people. I mean, this has been my experience. And as I've been walking with people in that this experience as well, I can honestly say that this is not a special thing where you need special tactics or special ministry tools in order to walk with people in it. Mm-hmm. I truly believe this is a topic where we really need to bring Jesus in more and right. let people encounter, as we were saying, like let people encounter him and let him be the one to guide and lead and bring change in people's lives bring healing in people's lives. I would also say some of the best books that I've read that kind of educate me more on topics like gender identity and and homosexuality are actually topics that just talk about sexuality as a whole. What is God's grand vision, good call, good vision for our sexuality? Mm -hmm. And how have all of us steered away from that and i think more as pastors see the good desires we have and the context in order to which we can express those desires i I believe that we could then talk about these issues in a healthy way giving vision giving purpose giving drive to our our sexual nature the act of sex itself and so yeah my encouragement is get a lot of books get around books and authors that are critiquing culture just on the topic of sexuality as a whole and yeah, really immerse yourself in scripture that talks about these things in a, in a biblical way. Maybe you can send us some of your best titles and then we can put it on the show notes. Yes. Sure. And Go how can to. people get in touch with you or find out more about Journey Canada? Yeah. So our website is journeycanada.org. We have our email uh, addresses on there. So please send a, an email and I will reply back to you. That's, that's awesome. Send a pigeon. Yeah. Send a pigeon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Actually, one thing I think I will take away from this conversation that we just had today was that everyone needs to come out and come out of hiding. Mm. And that is one of the invitations that Jesus gives to all of us to encounter him in real ways. Mm. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us today in this conversation. Hey, if you have not done so already, please remember to rate and review our episodes and subscribe. That helps us get this conversation out there and engage with more people. Let us know how we are doing through either Facebook or Twitter or email. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear how you are living this out in your life. And at the same time, let us know know, how we're doing and if we could be doing this better. On behalf of everyone here at the Canadian Asian Mitchell Podcast, thank you for joining us on this journey. We'll see you next time. Peace out.